No, it's great to be here, and it's so exciting to be uh, to be back and to be to be worshiping and hearing from God. And I, you know, just what's come this morning even has been great because it's it's really in line with what I'm going to preach on, uh, which is fantastic, isn't it? And uh, even some of the words that came this morning were similar to some of the words that came in the first meeting. You know, we had the whole um, stairway to heaven this morning in the first meeting as well. So that was really interesting how it works. So uh, God's, God's at work and God's speaking. So I do encourage us, let's be open to what God's got to say this morning. Um, a little bit of background. I don't need to say too much because I was here on Tuesday uh, and we said a little bit more. But I, uh, I was here... For many years, serving in the church with, alongside Dan and alongside in, as part of Arnold's team when Arnold Bell led the church here. And uh, then we eventually went out to Fredericton, Canada uh, in January 2014, initially for six months, just to see where God was leading. And uh, we had a sense that he was going to lead us to Fredericton. Actually, we ended up going uh, a little bit of a roundabout way to Ontario for 18 months. I worked at Milton Bible Church for uh, 18 months there. And then we moved back to Fredericton last February 2016, uh, which is where we are now. And it was quite a tour. Um, as, as Debbie and I said on Tuesday, it wasn't exactly how we imagined it would be. Uh, life often isn't, though, is it? Life often isn't how we imagine it will be. Uh, my guess is that as you look back at your life, uh, and even the life of the church here, you might think, well, this hasn't worked out quite how I would have expected it to work out. Um, it's a journey of faith. And we walk by faith. And, and that's what I want to look at this morning, really. Uh, spend a little bit of time looking at what it means to walk by faith, to follow Jesus uh, in faith. So we're going to look at Matthew's Gospel and chapter 4. Uh, we're just going to look at five or six verses, verses 18 to 22. That's five verses, isn't it? 18 to 22 um, in Matthew 4. So if you've got a Bible, open it there. I think it'll be appearing on the screen. Or you could use your phones and your tablets or whatever else people use these days. I'm preaching from an iPad now. That's different. All right. Here we go. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. All right. So we're going to look at what it means to follow Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, we're going to see, I think, four things from this passage about following Jesus. And the first one is... When we follow Jesus, we actually receive a new identity. When we follow Jesus, we get a new identity. Jesus here calls Andrew and Simon out of their previous lives and into something new with them. And that something new, he says, is I'm going to make you fishers of men. Or if you uh, broaden it out uh, for, for us today, fishers of, of people. Um, so suddenly, Andrew and Simon's identity has changed. I mean, the passage actually tells us who they were before and what they were doing. So it says um, in verse uh, 18, they were casting a net into a lake 
for they were fishermen. I mean, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? They were casting a net into a lake. Well, they weren't just doing... It wasn't like they were lawyers and they thought, oh, here's a lake, let's just cast a net into the lake. That's something to do. No, they're casting a net into the lake because that's who they are. They're fishermen. And so who they are defines what they do. And that's the case for us today. Casting a net into the lake, that's what fishermen do. By the end of the passage, they're no longer fishermen. Because God has given them a new identity. Jesus has called them out of being fishermen. And now they are followers. So what do we see them doing? We see them following Jesus. They left everything else behind. They left their fishing nets behind. They're not fishermen anymore. That doesn't define who they are. Now they're followers. So Jesus goes, oh, well, we're following Jesus. They're doing something different because they've received a new identity. And we see this all the way through the Bible. People receiving new identities in Christ. We've even heard it referred to this morning about Jacob. He received a new identity in God. Abraham received a new identity in God. Uh, Simon himself receives a new identity. He gets renamed Peter because on this rock I will build my church. In other words, you have got a new identity, so I'm going to do something through you. You are going to do something different because of who you are. And we see it from the Israelites coming out of slavery into the promised land. They were slaves for many, many years. That was their identity. That's who they were. They were slaves. And God sets them free from slavery. But God doesn't just set us free from slavery. He didn't just set the Israelites free from slavery. He set them, he led them into something else. God doesn't just release us from what we are in slavery to. He leads us into something else. So in Christ, God sets us free from sin and bondage to our desires and our flesh. But he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just say, well, now you're free. Get on with it. He says, I'm leading you into something else. He's got plans and purposes for our lives alongside our new identity that he gives us. A new life in all of its fullness, following his ways. And so our identity in Christ defines how and determines how we live and what we do. That's why Paul, when he's writing his letters and so much of the New Testament, we read all about who we are. And sometimes we can think, okay, well, let's just get onto the stuff about what we should do, how we should live our lives. What does it mean to be a, how do I parent? How do I, how, how am I going to be a good husband or a good wife? How do I respond at work? Well, all of that comes always at the end of the letters. Because Paul and Peter and John and others want to set up before then, this is who you are. Therefore, once you've understood who you are, outwork who you are and live in this way. So our identity determines how we live and what we do. I mean, I wonder how you would describe yourself. I wonder what identities define us the most. For some people, um, it might be our gender or even our sexuality may define us. People are defined. They define themselves by their sexuality. They define themselves by what gender they are. Sometimes it, it might be your nationality. You might define yourself by your nationality or your ethnic background or your culture. And if that was the case, you might expect me to, to say, if I was defining myself primarily by my culture, I might say, well, I'm living in Canada, but you know what? I'm a, I'm a Yorkshireman at heart. That, that's who I really am. I'm a Yorkshireman 
And so, you know what, you Canadians who are so polite and, and everything, I'm just going to be blunt and straightforward. I mean, I, I pretty much am. But, <laughs> but <coughs> excuse me. But, uh, but that, you know, you could say, take me or leave it. Take it or leave it. That's who I am. I'm a Yorkshireman. Our primary identity is who we are in Christ. To be honest, a lot of the time we're not even aware of those things which, which define us, which, which we have as our root identity. We, we just default to doing things which might seem normal to us. We end up doing a lot of things that just seem normal. It's only when you go to different parts of the world you find out it's not normal at all. No one else, people there don't do those things or live in those ways. Some countries it's more obvious than others, but, but, but that's the way it is. We just think things are normal. And so we might live, we might kind of vaguely identify as being middle class, say. And so we just do the normal things that, that people do in our society. And we, and we think, oh, well, we're going we're gonna to get a good education. We're going to seek a better life for our family. We're going to try and get our kids into the best schools. We're, we'll, we'll move to the nicer areas of the city. Um, we'll, we'll get bigger houses and, and nice cars and, and set our life up in this way. We, we might not even think about why we're doing those things. Because that's just what everyone does. And, and it might be there's nothing wrong with doing those things. It might be there's nothing wrong with it. It might be that that's what God is leading us into. But if we, if we don't think about it, if we don't realize that we're just doing things because that's what everyone else does, because that's, that's the default identity, then we might not be following Jesus. Because Jesus usually doesn't call us to follow the crowd. Jesus usually doesn't tell us to go the same way as everyone else. He often leads us in a completely different direction. And we have to listen and know who we are in Christ and what the Word of God is telling us so that we can make decisions in our life based on our identity in Christ, not based on who we are in our society or the color of our skin or our sexuality or our gender or any of that or our class. See, Jesus comes and he changes our fundamental identity. So we see over and over again, this is who you are You are temples of the Holy Spirit, therefore live in a way that reflects being temples of the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ, so live in a way. Everyone playing their part like a body. Everyone with something to contribute. No one more important than anyone else. No one who is unimportant. Time and again, new identities. So we are followers of Jesus. And that leads me on to my second point. When we follow Jesus... We get caught up into God's plans. We don't involve Jesus into our plans. We get caught up in what God is doing and calling us into, not just inviting him in. Simon Peter and Andrew didn't say, oh, hey, Jesus, great to see you here today. Do you know what? You'll find us here every day. We're fishermen. We are going to be casting our nets here. We'd love to see some more of you. Please come by every day and spend some time with us. Neither did they just say, oh, do you know what, Jesus? We'll go and hang out with you when we've, when we've got a bit of time. When we've finished everything else that we're doing, we'll just go and be with you. You know, can you tell us where we'll find you and then we'll, and we'll spend a little time with you? No, Jesus says to them, come and follow me. Come and follow me. It's not about inviting Jesus into our lives. And, and sometimes, even when we're, we're, we're telling 
people who don't know Jesus about, about him and about God and about his plan of salvation. We don't do any favors to people if we say, oh, you know, you can invite Jesus into your life. It's not, it's not biblical, actually, to, Im, to invite Jesus into our life. Jesus has broken into our lives in the first place. We couldn't even do anything unless he broke into our lives. But he's then saying, come with me. Get involved in what I have got for you. Come and be involved in my great plan of salvation, the advancement of my kingdom, which I am doing. And I'm involving you in that. You can come. You can join in. We're not just inviting Jesus into our life into our plans, into the things that we have got to do, we get caught up into his world. His plan, which began at creation, goes on until he comes back and establishes a new heavens and a new earth. So Jesus comes and he calls ordinary fishermen, ordinary people who do the same thing day after day after day, and he says, come and follow me. And he blows open their world. He blows open their world with what he's going to do. I'm going to make you Fishers, not of fish, but of people. You're going to catch people. You're going to bring people into my kingdom. This is what you're going to be involved in. It's far, far bigger. And then as they go and they follow and they spend time with Jesus, he changes them into who he wants them to be. And that's what Jesus is doing with us too. He's calling us to be his disciples. This, the word disciple means a number of things. It means apprentice. It, it means um, student. It, but it primarily means follower. A disciple was a follower. A disciple was someone who followed. Not just followed what someone was teaching. Oh, like I'm learning something. I'm just going to write down some notes. Okay, I've got, I've got some head knowledge now. No, a follower in terms of modeling their whole life on their teacher. So, Jesus doesn't just say, here's my teaching. He says, follow me. Follow what I do. Live the way I live. Follow my example. We see that Paul says the same thing, doesn't he? He writes to churches and he says, follow my teaching and my way of life. He sends Timothy and he says, follow what he teaches you and his way of life. His way of life will remind you of my way of life, which will remind you of Jesus's way of life. Because that's what we're doing. We're following a way of life of life. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just, oh, I know the stuff. We're following Jesus and living the way he lived. And actually, if we're a follower, that means we have to die to our own plans, to our own ideas of what the right way is. We're following someone else. In Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me. So you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Well, what does that mean? Well, well, basically that means you're going to die. In Jesus' world, if you took up a cross, it meant you were going to be dead very soon. Jesus took up the cross and he was dead very soon. And that's what he's saying. Deny yourself, take up your cross, you will die you will die to ourselves, yourself. When we take up our cross, we die to ourselves. We die to our selfish desires. We die to our aspirations. We desire to what we want out of life and we submit to his leadership. And many people don't want to do that. 
We read in the Gospels, many people, they started following Jesus and then he started saying some things. And, and, and in John's Gospel, we see people started to turn away from him. Because it, it was just too difficult. It, it was too hard to do it. Jesus says to the disciples, are you going to leave too? They're sold out. They're all in. Where else do we go, Jesus? You've got the words of eternal life. He's still messing with their minds. He's still, they still don't understand it, but he's like, but we're with you. you know, the, the man, the ruler who comes and he says, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll follow you. What, do, what, what must I do? What do I have to do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And he says, well, give up all your money. Give it to the poor and follow me. He can't do it. It's too big an ask. Because his money, his security is in his money. And that's his control and that's his safety net. And Jesus is saying, step out of your safety and follow me. And some people, they, they can't do it. It's too hard. But Simon and Andrew and James and John, they leave behind their old life. James and John, they leave behind their father and the family business. He's there in the boat. <laughs> Guys, where are you going? We're following Jesus now. Well, what about the net? You're a fisherman, you deal with it. (laughs) We're followers now. We're followers of Jesus. They walk away from everything. They start a new life. It's pretty radical stuff, isn't it? It's scary stuff. Scary stuff. They're going to have a lot of questions. These disciples, lots of questions. Jesus, where are we going to stay? Where are we going to live? Where are we going to get money from? How are we going to eat? What, what What are we going to be doing, Jesus? In many ways, when we leave our our old life behind and we follow Jesus, it's just as radical. It's just as full of uncertainties. We'll have many, many questions. It's okay to ask those questions. We may not get all the answers. Jesus didn't give these disciples all the answers. We love to have a detailed plan, don't we, before we start on something. Okay, set it all out. Let's all know where where we're going to end up. What's the route? Where are we going? We want all the details. God doesn't give us that. He doesn't give us that. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't do that? It's because he's more interested in the journey than in the destination. I mean, there is a destination. There's a destination for all of us. We know we where we will end up if we love Jesus. We're going to end up with him. In a new heavens and new earth forever. How are we going to get there? Well, we don't have the answers to that. God doesn't give us those answers. But what he's doing is he's leading us. And as he takes us in different places and different ways, he's working on us. He's shaping our characters. He just calls us to follow by faith. Which is my third point. When we follow Jesus, he doesn't tell us where he's taking us. He didn't give details to these fishermen. He doesn't give us details either. He'll just lead us. And sometimes the way seems confusing. It was very confusing for the disciples. They didn't know what Jesus was doing most of the time. Just read the Gospels. They they thought they were starting a revolutionary movement. I mean, in a way they were. But they thought Jesus was going to be a political Messiah. And And he wasn't. And time and time again, when he's teaching them things and doing miracles and he's trying to show them something, they just don't understand. And Jesus even gets frustrated with them sometimes. Are you so dim? Do you not understand what you're doing? I mean, he doesn't leave them. 
He's so gracious. He loves us so much. But they, they just didn't understand. And then he, and then he says, oh, I'm going away. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I'm going to be killed at the hands of sinful men. And then I'm going to be raised three days to life three days later. And, and the disciples are just going, what are you talking about? That, that wasn't part of the deal as far as we knew it. You can't do that. Peter's saying, never, that shall never happen. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You, don't, you, you think the way that humans think, that people think. You don't have in mind the things of God. God's ways are very different to our ways. And so, and so often we don't understand what's going on in our lives. God leads us in certain ways and on certain paths. And we think, oh, I thought it was going to be all so different. I really thought it was going to be different to the way it turned out. And, somet- and sometimes people do turn away from Jesus when that happens. When things happen in their life and they think, they think how could God, how could God do this? If, if God's a loving God, how could this happen? How come I am like this? How come my, you know, I suddenly find myself on my own? How come... I haven't got married. How come I haven't got any kids? How come I have lost my job? And suddenly where, where it seemed I was heading has all gone a different way. How come my health is failing? When I thought God was leading me in this. And, and we don't understand. Or we find God's ways offensive. And we, and we can get to that point. Maybe your life's not turned out the way you thought it would. Maybe you've begun to doubt God's love for you even. Even John the Baptist doubted. John the Baptist, that, that, he was the forerunner for Jesus, wasn't he? He was the one who said, after me is coming a greater one than I am. And, and he's going to be the one who will lead you in spirit and truth and he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, and he's the one you've all been waiting for. He's the promised Messiah. So confident. And then what happens to John? He gets put in prison. And when he's in prison, he sends some of his followers to Jesus. We read about it in Luke 7, verse 20. And, and they say, Jesus, John said, are you the one who is to come? Are you really? Or should we expect someone else? Well, he was the one who was so confidently proclaiming it. But now he's like, I'm not so sure. Are you the one who is to... I don't know. Why is he asking that question then? Because he's in prison. And so he's doubting it. Well, it doesn't look like I thought it would look. And Jesus says, go back to John and tell him, look at, tell him what's happening. The lame are walking, people are being healed, people are being delivered from bondage. That's what the Bible actually says will happen when the Messiah comes. But John's thinking, but what, but look at me here in prison. And do you know what? It never got better for John. He ended up dying. He ended up with his head on a platter. But Jesus was still the promised one. Jesus was still the one who he proclaimed to be. John didn't know that his life was going that way. Didn't know. God didn't reveal it to him in advance. We do not know where Jesus will lead us. Will we decide because of that that he's not trustworthy? Will we decide to turn away from him? We need faith to follow Jesus. We need the gift of faith. We need to ask God for faith. He imparts it. We need the Holy Spirit which he promises us. Because we can't follow Jesus otherwise. 
Yes, he's leading us in all these different ways that we would never have expected. It was the same for the Israelites. After, after he delivered them from Egypt, remember? All these great plagues that came. Finally, Pharaoh said, okay, you can go. Go, go find your promised land. Go into the land that God sent to you. Go. And so they leave. And you can imagine, they're so ecstatic about that. They're following, uh, G- they're following God. He even gives them a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night to follow so they know exactly where he's leading them. They must have been thinking, yes, yeah, this is it, great stuff. But then we read about it. Let's have a look at Exodus 13. There's two verses, 17 and 18. Exodus 13, verse 17 and 18. Oh dear, this is going to take me a while to find. Um, and, he, and he's, I'll just read this screen. Uh, and he says this. Here we are. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. When it says God said that, he didn't say it to them. That's just what God said. That's the reason. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. And then it says the Israelites went up out of Egypt, armed for battle. So they, they could have gone... They could have gone the direct route to the promised land. From Egypt to the promised land, you can look at it on a map. It would have taken, it was pretty direct, just a, 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 along the coastline. And it would have led them through the Philistine country. It would have taken them probably around two weeks. Two weeks to get from Egypt to the promised land. But God didn't lead them that way. Because he said, well, the Philistines there are there and you're not ready for, for battle. You're not ready to face that battle yet. Now, they would have many battles to face further down the line. I mean, they've got Jericho to come. But right now, they're not ready. God knows they're not ready, so he takes them a different way. He takes them the desert route. Interesting, though, I find the last verse, if you want to put it back up again, if you can, I find this last verse really interesting. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. You see, they don't know what God knows. God knows they're not ready for battle. And they're thinking, we're ready for battle. And they're, and they're marching out. And, they, and that's the literal translation of that is they went out in groups of 50, which is battle formation. So they're knowing we might face some battles here. So oh, we're equipped, we're all good. God's saying, you're not ready. They think they are. God knows better. So God says, well, no, I'm not going to take you there. Because if you go there, you're going to turn back. Well, I mean, they, they nearly did fairly soon afterwards. They, they almost went back. Suddenly, Egypt looked very attractive. Instead, he takes them on the desert route. He takes them the hard way through the desert. And, and actually, they don't handle it all that well. I mean, first of all, they come to the, the sea where they, that they have to cross, and, they, and they're saying, oh, by this point, the Egyptians are after them again. And, they, and they're saying, oh, no graves in Egypt, eh? Is that why you've led us out here to die? And then God miraculously delivers them through the waters and they're like, oh, we're trusting in God again until they get to the next place where it's a desert and there's no water. Finally, after three days, they find some water, but it's, it, it's uh, bitter. So they moan again at, at Aaron and Moses and then, they, and then God makes the water sweet. Oh, great. And then they go on to the next place. Next place is pretty good, actually. That's, uh, I think that's the place where there was 70 palm trees, it says, and 12 springs of water. Woo-hoo. This is a good place to be. They're camped there for a while. This is all good, good life. Then God leads them on again 
into another desert where there's nothing to eat and nothing to drink. And, the, and they're complaining again. It was just time after time. Why is God doing this? He's working on their character. He's helping them to see that they can trust in him. And he will care for them. So he provides manna and he provides um, quail. And they still moan. And, and to be honest, it doesn't end well for the Israelites, not for that generation. They, they, they don't get there for 40 years. Two-week journey, 40 years. And some of that is because God led them a different way, and some of it is their rebellion. It can be hard to go the desert route. There are challenges going the desert route. When we, to be honest, when we, as our family, we went, when we went to Milton in, in Ontario, and we were living there, and God very clearly led us there, it, it was hard. It was like a desert. We had all sorts of things going on. It, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't the easiest in church life, although it's good church, but it wasn't the easiest. But there were other things going on as well. We were getting health problems uh, going on um, in Debbie's particularly. And then, and then we got bed bugs and it was horrible and we, couldn't, we didn't know what to do with them. And there was just thing after thing after thing. And it was like, we don't even want to be here, God. Why have you brought us here? We, it's okay to ask that. We, we cried out to God. Why? What are you doing? And I remember speaking on, on Skype to Joe Crummy, who was at the church in Fredericton, one of the leaders there. And, and I said, Joe, it just seems like we're in a desert. It, it just seems so dry, and we don't understand it, and why has God led us here? And Joe, so helpfully, he said, well, Mark, you've got to see... Have you rebelled again? You've got to ask yourself the question. Have you rebelled against God and therefore wandered out into the desert? Have you left his presence? Or has God led you into the desert? He said, because if God's led you into the desert, you've got to trust that he's at work in you and he's doing something. And actually, that was such a comfort to think, no, God did lead us here. I know God led us here. And, and we can't see a way out. But... We've just got to trust in him. So helpful to know. And eventually God did lead us out, as you will have heard last Tuesday if you were here. Maybe you feel you're in the desert. Maybe individually. Maybe, actually, things haven't worked out as you thought they might in the church. I don't know. I think the question you need, we need to always ask ourselves is the same one. Have we walked away from God? If we have... If we're in sin and we've walked away from God, we need to repent and come back to him because we will die out there if we haven't got God with us. But if God has led us out there, then we can trust him because God has a tendency of leading people into the desert. He led the Israelites into the desert. Before that, he led Moses into the desert. He took Jesus out into the desert, into the wilderness. He takes people out into the desert to do a work in their lives. And he's teaching us to handle things with grace and faith rather than grumbling and resentment as the Israelites did. God's ways are greater than our ways. He knows more than we know. He knows why he's not led us the route we would want to go. Even when things look confusing and and God's blessings don't appear to be very evident, he's still working in us. Still working in us. And he's using those events to shape our character. And finally, when we follow Jesus, God changes our character, but he does it through community. 
He does it through community. So if, remember what we've said? Following Jesus is more about the journey than the destination. It's not about us getting to a certain place. It's about becoming someone that God wants us to be, someone that we weren't before. And the main way that he often uses to do that is through his church, through the church, through his community, through his people. Jesus calls his disciples and he formed them into a community, into a group. And we, and we see it through the, the Gospels. You know, he, he didn't, not everyone was the same as, they were all fishermen. There was a group of them, all with different jobs, all with different backgrounds. And we see that he was concerned about their character. So, yes, there's things that he involves them in. He involves them in miracles. He sends them out to do some teaching. He asks them to go and heal people and set people free from bondage that Satan has got people in. But most of the time, in the, in the Gospels, Jesus is dealing with the character of his disciples and their faith. So he teaches them. He teaches them how to pray. He teaches them that they must be servants. So he washes their feet. And he says, and now you've got to do the same with each other. He tells them that they must become like little children to enter the kingdom of God. So, and he corrects them. When they're sending the, the kids away, he's saying, no, 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 no. The kingdom of heaven be- belongs to such as these. And he welcomes them. You see, they've got the wrong perspective. So he's dealing with their character all the time. He's addressing their immaturity and their pride, their competitive spirit that they have with each other. Oh, Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? Some of them even, I think James and John, even get their mother alongside and say, oh Jesus, can, can my two sons sit at your right hand, right and the left in, when you're in, in your kingdom? And he's going, what, what are you talking about? You know, that's not what it's about. We need to humble ourselves. Those who want to be the greatest must become the least. He's talking about their character. He's teaching them things all the time. And, and, and he gets frustrated with them and he says, oh, do you still have no faith? Are you still like this? But he's so patient and he's so loving. And he brings them through into that point. He shows grace and forgiveness to them. And he still does that in the church today. Because Jesus calls us together. And we're a mixed bag. We're a mixed group of people. We might have very little in common with each other. And he says, we want you to follow I want you to follow me together. As I said, they weren't all fishermen, he called. There was political revolutionaries. There was was tax collectors. They would have hated each other. Those two would have hated each other right from the start. Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. That's a battle waiting to happen from day one. But he puts them together. Oh, Jesus, don't you know about choosing a team? You've got to choose a team that work well together. No, he, he, he's, he's molding them. He's changing them. He's shaping them as they live together, as they argue together, as they learn together. It's much easier living, in one way, living a Christian life as an individual. And people like to do that. Oh, just me and God. Just me and God. I'll, I'll come to church. I'll just sit next to someone. Well, maybe a seat away from them. <laughs> no, Jesus is bringing us together to shape us and and bring us to maturity so don't avoid people in the church who might not seem to be like you don't just come together with people who have got similar backgrounds to you similar interests god's put us together in the church so we can learn from each other so we can relate to each other so we can embrace each other be with them that's how god chooses it's not our way it's god's way 
And we'll receive wisdom and guidance and encouragement and strength. And we'll speak the truth to each other in love. And we'll celebrate with each other. And we'll mourn with each other. And God will use the difficulties of relationships and where we bash against each other. And he'll shape us and he'll mold us the same way that he did his disciples. And and we'll learn to forgive. And we'll learn to trust again. Even when we've been hurt and we want to just back away. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Come on. Keep coming. Keep trusting. Keep following. Love each other. We'll learn to put our pride to death. Our pride that makes us think that we're so much better than everyone else and we don't even need anyone else. And he'll deal with it. He'll deal with it in the church. He'll deal with it in the community that he's established. Don't run away from it. Don't try and avoid it. Don't, when things get difficult, don't back off. That's not how to do it. You'll be missing out on God's gracious means of making your character more like Jesus. God's called you to City Church. He's called you to City Church. Give yourselves fully to what he's called you to. Don't just stay on the edge. Don't just say, okay, I'll, when it's convenient, I'll invite Jesus in. No. Embrace all that God has got for you. Even when things aren't like you thought it would be. Even when the church goes in a direction you thought, oh, I don't think it should go that way. I'm not very happy about us meeting in congregations now and downstairs. Why are we downstairs? We've got a big building upstairs. Why are we? We can all have opinions. God leads us the way he chooses. It's different. Give yourself to it. Walk with Jesus. Walk by faith and obedience. He won't give us all the answers. He won't tell us why he leads the way he does. We have such limited perspectives, like the disciples, like the Israelites, we have very naive expectations sometimes. But God is leading us. God is leading you. Jesus is calling us to follow him and not go our own way. And that's actually why he died. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us, each one of us has turned to his own way. That's what, that's what we do. We turn to our own ways. We go the way we want to go. We don't care about anyone else. We're going to forge our own path. So what was God's response? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He died for us because we were going off our own way. He loves us so much and he wants to gather us in and he wants to set us free from all of that. And he wants to lead us into something glorious. He wants to rescue us. He wants to make us his own. We're his bride. We're his bride. Amazing. How do we respond? Hopefully not like the Israelites. They never came into what God had really got for them. Many of them didn't. Actually, the majority of Jesus' disciples did press through. Eleven out of the twelve of them. They pressed through. They kept on following, no matter where God led, where Jesus led, through disappointments, failures, even times they were ashamed of. Peter, so ashamed of, of what he'd done when he denied even knowing Jesus. And then there's that beautiful reconciliation in John's Gospel on the beach where he's given them a meal. And then he says, Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. You know I do. I love you so much. 
That's what he says to us. Do you love me? That, that's what he's concerned about the most. It's only after that that he says, okay, feed my sheep. Here's something to do. Here's a job to do. Here's what I've got for you. Most of all, do you love me? Do you love me? Let's keep on trusting him. God's at work in us. God's at work in you as a church. So exciting to see. He will lead you on. He'll lead us all on until we see his purposes worked out. In our church, churches, in our lives. Let's keep trusting in him. Okay, let's pray together, shall we? Father God, Father God, I thank you that you love us so much. And, and out of that love for us, Lord, we, we can trust you. We can take those steps of faith, even when we're scared, even when, we, even when we're confused about the direction and the path that you've taken us on, even when we don't know how things have ended like this and where we're going. Lord, we know if we follow you, if we follow you by your Holy Spirit that you've imparted to us and, and put in our lives, Lord, we can trust you. We can trust that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And so, Lord, we don't want to be those who just wander away from you and wander out into the desert. But God, if you lead us there, if you lead us into the desert places, we we choose to trust you. We say we don't understand it all and we thank you that we can come to you and we can cry out to you. And sometimes we can say, oh God, how long? How long? But oh God... We know you're faithful. We know you will lead us. We know you're working in us. Keep on, Lord. Keep on. Keep working in City Church, I pray. Lord, I love this church. I just love this church. Keep working in them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.